Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Spanish Mustang Radio. I'm your host, Wynn Brookhouse. Together, we will meet and talk to owners, breeders, and trainers of the Spanish Mustang, and also uncover some historical facts in our audio journey. I hope you, like me, will become more aware of this wonderful breed of horses. I'm talking to Tommy Gray about her Spanish Mustangs and growing up on Karma Farm. Tommy, it sounds to me like you were sort of raised around a lot of Spanish Mustangs and Mustang horses uh, all your life. So were you always a horse horse person? Yes and no. I have been around the horses my entire life. I've been around this breed my entire life. Um, but when I was three years old, I actually was in a pretty severe horse accident. Uh, I was on a, a green colt and, and got not fucked off, but as I was being pulled off the horse, he spun and, and kicked me in the chest and, and actually nearly killed me. And um, I was actually terrified of horses until I was about, oh, six, maybe seven, somewhere in that area, and uh, ended up with a Methuselah old Shetland pony by the name of Spot. Spot basically got me over my fear of horses, and at that point, I moved up from Spot to a, a really old Galicino by the name of Streaker, and after Streaker, I got my first Spanish Mustang that was mine that I was comfortable riding, and I haven't looked back since. So now, your mom is, is Vicki Ives and of uh, Karma Ranch. Uh, now, did you always work with your mom with her horses? Did you work with other people with their horses as well? Both. I've never actually, only outside horses I take are Spanish Mustangs. I won't take anything else. I just don't like dealing with anything else. Um, so I'll only ride our Spanish horses, but I have taken some outside horses. Most of the outside horses I do end up riding end up are, are clients' horses, most of whom came from us in the first place. So, it's, you know, it's a, one of those things that serves us and serves the horses. But I don't do as much as I used to anymore, one, because I'm so busy. And I actually got a, a pretty severe head injury a couple of years ago, so that's really slowed me down. Yeah, I'll, I'll ride. Pretty much anything that you'll put me on. In fact, this year I'm actually happened to help a, a friend of mine out who's having had hip surgery. Well, his uh, uh, registered Appaloosa mare and our local horse shows as well with my little Corolla stallion. So that's going to be interesting. <laughs> Great. Now, how many horses do you have yourself? Personally, I only have four horses that are my personal horses. Uh, I have Horse King. He's a CWH the Seed King. He's a straight Corolla straight off the island. And I've been riding him for, oh, about six years now, a little longer than that. And I've got uh, Fernando, or Ferdy, he's probably the one that people know the best. Ferdy is still arguably the most decorated colonial Spanish gilding alive. He's 21 this year and is still out there winning stuff and doing things with our riding lesson students. But I also trained him to ride when I was 10 years old, and he's been my best friend ever since then. And he's a son of Choctaw Sundance. And then I have a daughter of Rowdy Yates by the name of Meet Virginia, who's also half Yaki. 
and um, she's a lot of fun to ride. She's, she's the one that a lot of folks will see me on Facebook doing endurance on. She has a bad tendency to get hurt in weird accidents, though. Everything from stepping on a nail in the pasture to getting kicked the day before the show. And uh, so I semi-retired her into basically breeding these days. And I've got a daughter of hers by Timber Ghost, who's a son of Beetlejuice, that I'm actually bringing up to be able to be my endurance prospect. And her name's Race the Wind, and I keep telling everybody. I've told Race since the day she hit the ground that she and I are going to do the tennis one day. So hopefully we'll make it one of these days. You mentioned just then when you were referring to one of your horses, and you said she's part yucky. I've never heard that before. What is that? Uh, it's a particular strain that the Johnson, the Tally Johnson helps say. It's also referred to as the Yates or Kathy Yates strain because the same Kathy Yates who helped save the Longhorns actually saved that particular strain too. It's a very rare strain that's out of Mexico. And the story goes that Tally and Cap were really good friends and Cap was constantly going back and forth to Mexico trying to find stock to be able to rescue the Longhorns with. And uh, Tally just told Cap, hey, listen, uh, if you ever happen to see some of those nice Spanish ponies down there, give me a holler. And he said, okay, Tally, whatever. Two years later, Tally practically forgotten about it. He gets a call from Cap and says, hey, I got your horses. Come pick them up. And it turned out that they were there was two stallions and I believe five mares. And one of the stallions was infernal. So all the horses that we have that go back to the Yaki Indians from old Mexico uh, come from the, from the Johnson Ranch. Okay, so it sounds like you have a number of different um, strains of the Spanish Mustang horses. We do. Uh, here at Karma Farms, the main thing that we do, yes, we do breed and we do conserve, but we also are breeding for a particular type of horse. We mix the strains to be able to get hybrid vigor. That way we're able to have a stronger genetically sound horse as well as a horse that's more physically sound, too, because you can keep... Is that the clone is a perfect example. If you keep inbreeding, having to try to keep the strain pure, eventually you're going to get to a point where you get to a genetic collapse, and we try to avoid that altogether. We try to breed horses that are sound to do anything from ride the kid or the four-year-old kid around in the pasture with to go do 50 miles with the next day, and Freddie and I have actually done that before. So we just want to have an all-around good horse that's quiet to deal with, good temperament, good brain, is able to go all day. Okay, now, now you mentioned your one horse. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get the names as you, you went through them. Who you said was your gelding, uh, who you had since you were 10 years old. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned he's the most decorated. Can you tell me some of his achievements? Yeah, uh, that's Ferdy or Fernando. Ferdy has actually, let's see here, he has multiple mastery and in the American Indian Horse Registry, a Supreme Hall of Fame in the American Indian Horse Registry, a national championship in the North American Trail Ride Conference, a Spanish Mustang Registry Grande Conquistador. He's taught over 200 people how to ride, including everything from four-year-olds to grandmothers. Yeah, just a couple of years ago, he was uh, at the top of the Papoose, which is a kid division, little kid division in our local Indian horse club. So he's been there and done that and continues to do so even at 21 years old. It sounds like you're involved in a lot of different things. Now, you mentioned your Indian group. Tell me about that. The Tejas Indian Horse Club is actually the oldest Indian horse club in the nation. When the uh, American Indian Horse Registry decided that they wanted to do something that was a show circuit type deal, Nancy Fowley, Leanna Rideout Westgard, and my mother, Vicki Oz, and 
their significant others at the time, including Scotty Stevenson, Buddy Rideout, and my dad, Tom Steard, Gretchen Patterson, and a few other people that were involved at the time, basically sat down and came up with the rules for what was going to be the Indian horse criteria for both judging and speed events. The judging criteria is the same criteria that is used today and is also used by the Horse of the Americas Registry. Um, it, it's a pretty good standard on what you know, want to look at for the horses. And one of the nice standardized things about it is that it's not standardized. You have, you know, this is what your southwesters are supposed to look like, and this is what your barbs are supposed to look like, and this is what your northerns are supposed to look like, and here's how they're all related to let you know that they're all the same horse. So it's, um, it's the Lost Indian Horse Club. It's been around for over 30 years now. Uh, I was literally born into it. Uh, in fact, there's, we've got some footage, very old footage, of Mom actually being the announcer at one of our national shows in 1986 because she was pregnant with me and couldn't ride. So I've been involved literally since day one. And these days I'm actually not an officer for the first time in forever. But in the past I've been vice president, president, and secretary. So I've been really involved with the club. Our main job is to do the same thing that the American Indian Horse Registry does, which is to introduce new people to the horses. It's a great playing field for people with their modern horses to come play and not have to be judged on a criteria that makes our horses look inferior. What we're looking for isn't necessarily that perfect finished type, although that's what we're looking for too. We're looking for that perfect distance horse. It doesn't matter whether you're riding a Spanish Mustang or whether you're riding a quarter horse. If you've got a horse with a smooth gait and good transitions, you're going to have one that's going to place well on pleasure. We don't like peanut rollers. We like horses that extend out and show us how far they can go and they're smooth rides doing it. Now, are there any other organizations um, that you are part of or work, work with? Yeah, I do quite a bit with the North American Trail Ride Conference and they track. Uh, not as much as I would like, of course, but I do do quite a bit of campaigning in that. In fact, I had my Corolla Stout and King, um, we were trying to make a good ride at run of it last year doing May track rides. And uh, we'll probably do a couple this year, too. I've done a little bit in AERC as well, but not very much. And it's something that I'm looking to get back into once race gets old enough to start riding. How do you feel when you we talk about Spanish Mustangs and their relationship as far as uh, compared with other horses? What are the traits that you feel make a Spanish Mustang so unique? Well, are we talking physical strength? Strength No, I'm talking everything uh, in general. Well, physically, some of the things that are going to make them very different are they have a sloped shoulder and a sloped hip. They're going to be spine high with a low tail set. They're going to have hooked ears, but not so hooked that they touch, although you're not necessarily going to get dinged for that. They're going to have small chestnuts on the rear legs, and they're going to be um, shaped in the front end kind of like a, 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 an A. They're going to have, they're going to be wide-based horses with cowboys used to say that it looked like their legs were coming out of the same hole. They're also going to be very flexible. You'll be able to pick up their hoof, and if their hoof can't go past their elbow, that's considered a, a bad thing because that flexibility is one of the things that makes them so smooth. And you're also going to be looking for, confirmation-wise, perfect balance. The perfect Spanish balance is going to be, if you can measure the horse, from the pole to the withers, that same measurement should also be the measurement of your back, the hip, the heart girth, and all, let's see, your back, hip, heart girth, and the neck. But all those things should be should be the same measurement. And if they match, then you've got a perfectly balanced horse. And most 
just do those over again? <laughs> sure, you can do them over again. Okay, sorry about that. That's right. so the perfect Spanish balance is going to be if you measure from the horse's pole to the withers, that neck measurement should then be the same length as the back, hip, shoulder, and heart girth. And all five measurements should match each other. And your modern horses, the back and the neck will match, and the hip, heart girth, and shend, uh, hip, shoulder will match. But they won't match each other. So that's one of the traits that we actually share with the Arabians. Arabs will actually do that as well. Uh, other Spanish breeds will do it as well. Something that's particularly unique unto our horses, however, is the way the neck actually ties into the head. There's a bone there called the atlas, and the atlas has wings that come off of it. In fact, it's called the wings of atlas. And in your modern horses, it looks like two C's facing each other, a C and an inverted C. In our horses, it actually looks like an ear. And that was a discovery that was made right here in our own graveyard where we've got our, our good ponies who have passed on above ground so that we can do this kind of research with them. And uh, what they found is that having that natural dip on either side of the wings, that dip allows the horse to carry it, their head in a more swan-like manner. And it's one of the reasons that they're able to take in such deep breaths because they have a natural throat latch that allows that to basically they don't have the air to hit the back of the throat. It just smooth, very smoothly runs from the nostril all the way through into the lungs. Well, I've also heard that their their hearts are also a little larger than a regular horse for their size. That's that's arguable. It, it, it probably is, um, but that's that's not terribly um, unusual. Arabians are the same way. Uh, that's one of the reasons that they're able to do what they do. But yeah, they, their their hearts are probably are a little bit larger to be able to do what they need to do. That's one of the reasons that they're able to go as far and as hard as they can without being tired too much. Now, are you yourself, do you actively pursue your own uh, riding in competition or in any particular uh, field of competition? I do. Uh, I also, I do quite a bit with the Tejas Indian Horse Club in Tejas. You know, I'm, I'm usually in there every year. If I'm not competing, I'm usually helping put shows on, sometimes both. But I also try to do quite a bit in NATRAC. I feel that NATRAC and AERC both are very important avenues for us to be able to do in competition because it's distance. Distance competition is where our guys do best. And it's something that's, you know, it helps build character in young people. It helps build up muscle in horses. And it puts our horses in front of an audience that need quieter, easy-going horses. The Arabs really tend to dominate both sports. And for good reason, the Arabs are the ones that are, you know, best known as being the good distance horse that's never going to get tired. But we've actually seen a couple of instances, and I've seen several instances, actually, where people will end up with this good, high-strung Arab that's this great, wonderful, able to do 30, 40 miles or hundreds of miles or even whatever they need that's got no good sets. And they're going to be full of fire and hard to handle, and that's kind of hard for older riders or kids to be able to get a handle on. And that's one of the reasons that we love having our Spanish horses out there, to show that there is another horse that you don't have to go begging and, and, and spend $100 million on just to be able to have something that's quiet and can still do the distance. So, so what you're saying is you feel the Spanish Mustang horses have a really good, good personalities and uh, work well with people? Oh, absolutely. Our horses have been people horses since day one. 
When the Spanish fought them, they were peasant horses. When the Spanish left them, they became the war horses and, and hunting mounts of Native Americans and were integrated so deeply into their own lifestyles. Uh, the Corollas are a great example of that, even though the Corollas were never had a, a lot of Native American handling. They did come straight from Spain, and to this day, they share their island with people, and there's humans around them all the time. And even though they're wild horses, they're easy to deal with. When we went to go pick up our first set of koalas, there was four of them, uh, only one of which had ever had a halter on in their life, two of which were adults. And in two hours and 16 minutes, because the herd manager at the time timed us, my mother and I had all four caught, haltered, and loaded. They just didn't put up much of a fight. The one that did put up the most fight, we didn't do anything but work it in the pen until he got tired. When he finished, this wild horse stopped, turned around, and literally stuck his head in our arms. They're just people horses by nature. With the economy the way it is, and uh, also just uh, the cultural social norm that especially we in America are going through right now with electronics and uh, mass communication, what do you think is the future for all horses, basically? Kids, if you don't get the youth involved, there will be no more horses. If the, I mean, that's just the, the truth of it, straightforward. If you don't get your kids involved and interested, there's going to be no reason for them to stick around because by the time kids get old enough to realize, hey, this was something important, it may already be too late. We don't want to go the way of the passenger pigeon. We don't want to do what the buffalo really happened to them. We want to continue to introduce the horses to a new generation. This afternoon, I was out there feeding 50 head of horses, and I thought I was going to... It usually takes me about an hour and a half to two hours to do all the evening feeding. And two of our riding lesson students just happened to be there, and they said, oh, well, we'll help. And they were happy to come out there and help me do evening feeding rather than go home or play video games or watch TV. They were much more interested in playing with horses, even in the dark and the rain and the mud. Those are the kind of people that we need to continue to reintroduce to the horse because a horse is just good for... The soul. I mean, just horses, dogs, animals are good for the soul, and we need to continue to introduce that to our youth. And how many youth do you have that you that you work with? Right now, we've got somewhere between six and nine that we work with on a regular basis. Of course, kids are always coming and going. Uh, you'll have some kids that grow up and get busy in college, and aren't you have to get, drift off for a little while and. You've got some kids that have just started getting interested in horses, and moms decided that they need to have running lessons. Uh, running lessons, so it changes a lot. But right now, we've got about between six and nine kids that we're working with. And what's really fun is that necessarily just it's, of course the kids we work with right now are awesome. The last couple of summers ago, one of mom's first riding lesson students came back and brought his son to start taking riding lessons. So those are the ones that really make you proud, where you just go, wow, you know. It's a family tradition now. <laughs> and how many do you think of, of all the, the kids and uh, coming up through the years have actually stayed with horses? I mean, they might have left them for a while, like you said, go to school and stuff, have come back in their older years and, and reunited with horses. I can think off the top of my head of at least four kids who are either in college or in high school that are still very involved with horses. Now, one of those that I'm thinking of is getting slower. You know, she's getting towards a, 
she's in high school, you know, senior year in high school now, looking at college, going to be moving off soon, but she's still very involved. She's just not as involved as she once was. Um, I've got another friend who's in college right now and is actually away from home from where her horses are and is constantly bouncing back and forth between where she lives in Huntsville and uh, where, she, where she lives in Huntsville and where her horses are near Alba, which is, you know, few hundred miles away, plus so she can go out and work her horses and take care of them and, and ride regularly, and she's always calling. For some reason, one of her horses isn't available. She'll give me a call and say, hey, you got a horse that's free for such and such an event? I'd love to be able to ride. It's really interesting to be able to see who, and even the ones that leave, don't forget. And life left that kid, that's a, that guy who brought his kid back, even if they don't get involved with the horses themselves, They'll remember when they have kids and remember what an asset it was to their lives and bring their kids back into it just because they don't want to lose that. So would you say really looking at the future of horses uh, that it's real important that we have as many as possible because in different states there's plenty of room for for more writing uh, instruction and more uh, programs for kids. Do you feel that that really is the important thing to focus on right now um, with our horses? Quantity, no. Right now is a bad time to actually be breeding. Normally, we'll have anywhere between 9 and 11 foals coming. This year, we've got four. Um, the economy's just not in a position to be able to breed right now, and this isn't a good situation to be able to be bringing new lives in unless you've got the ability to take care of them. While the economy's down, you want to be able to have keep the horses you've got, and that means reducing your numbers any way that you can to be able to still do the horses justice. Now, the reason you want to do that is so that when the economy gets better and people have a little disposable income again, you want to still be able to be there to help them and you know, do the lessons and sell them the horses and get them into the horses in the first place. Do you want to have horses everywhere? No, not necessarily that there are some people out there who decide that they need to have a horse and they go buy one from the auction and don't know the first idea what they're doing and, and that just gets folks in trouble. You don't want a bunch of horses everywhere. You want a bunch of good places to teach about horses and you want a bunch of good quality horses that are available when the time's right. That concludes another show. I hope you enjoyed it. To see my horses, visit youtube.com slash user slash winbrookhouse. And I encourage all Spanish Mustang owners to put up videos, pictures, and stories about their horses in the hope of making the public more aware of these fabulous animals. Be well and safe. Remember, the natural world is the real thing. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.